0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, My name's Justin. I think most of you know me. Yeah. Um, We are starting a new uh, series for Sunday School that I've titled Dominion and Faith um, and then Something About the Kingdom. I can't remember the tagline. And I added the tagline because by dominion and faith, I'm trying to capture uh, what humans are supposed to be doing and being in the world right now. And ultimately, that's living in Jesus' kingdom under his rule and reign. Um, and we're going to spend the next 10 to 12 weeks trying to break down what that means and understand, understand that. So before we do that, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you and uh, praise you that you have made us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you have made us in your image, uh, that you made us uh, for your very self, that our chief end is to glorify and enjoy you, and that in you we live and move and have our being. Uh, In you, uh, we are blessed. Apart from you, we have nothing. Apart from you, we only have death. Apart from you, uh, we experience the full uh, weight of your curse, and through Jesus Christ, we've come back to your presence. And so we pray that Your spirit would fill this room, that you would fill our hearts, that we would know uh, who you are and who we are in you. Uh, Please uh, bless our time together uh, today and and in the next few weeks as we study your word, as we think and meditate upon what it means. uh, We pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct us from the very mouth of Christ uh, as we feast on his word. Bless us this day and Uh, Lead us into all truth through Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Before we get started with the actual subject matter, we're going to spend what's probably going to feel like a long time uh, going through some exercises that you're probably going to be puzzled by. I think they'll be kind of fun, but you may not get where I'm going. But just bear with me for the next maybe 20, 30 minutes, and uh, I think you'll see the point. So the reason I'm doing these exercises here is because when we tackle the questions we're going to tackle over the next few weeks about dominion, about what it means, about the kingdom, what it means, about having faith and what it means, uh, we want to have more than just facts, right? We want to have more than just uh, categories of ideas. We want to know ultimately how to live, how to be. Uh, we want to experience God himself, we want to experience him, not just know ideas about him, but know him. And so to kind of get at this difference between uh, just knowing facts and knowing something deeper than that, uh, we're going we're to do some exercises. So the first, first question I have along these lines is, and uh, Bells, I think you already know the answer, and Evelyn. You guys can't answer, okay? Because I think you know where I'm going. So, question is, what is a star? Is this, anyone can answer. You can raise your hand. What do, you, what do you think it is? How would you define that? Collection of gases, Collection of gases okay. Anything else? What's a star? Yeah. It's, like our sun. it's like our sun, right? In what way? Okay, good, good. Well, your answers are not unlike Eustace in The Voyage of the Don Treader. Have you read this book? Don Treader, right? Anybody recall the scene I'm talking about? Towards the end of the book, he's on this island with Prince Caspian. They're sailing east to go find Aslan's country, and they land on this island, and they meet this guy named Ramandu. Ramandu, anybody know who he is? He's a retired star. Right, he looks like a person. And, uh, and Eustace says, uh, In our world, said Eustace, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. Well, Ramandu answers, he says, Even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. So, isn't that interesting? When we think about what's a, what's a star, we first go to a to what's it made of? Well, that's, that's part of what it is, but that's not what it is, right? If you were to ask Roy Blackwood, when he was sailing, and he's told this story many times, many of you probably who knew him heard it. He's on a carrier. His testimony involves looking at stars. And, and what were stars to Roy Blackwood? They were more than just balls of gas, right? They were providing direction to someone trying to sail a ship, right? And they're also uh, declaring the glory of God in, in the beauty and splendor of what they are. If you are to ask an astrologer, you know, we're not, we're not astrologists. We kind of don't want to go down that road in one sense, but how would they respond to what a star is, right? They're going to have a different answer than just a ball of gas. These constellations, they're mapping out mythology and drama and and a story. And if you go to uh, uh, little Geppetto in Pinocchio, what's a star to Geppetto? Something you wish upon. Yeah. So, uh, again, what, what I hope you're seeing is there's, there's something much deeper than just what something's made of. To understand it uh, requires some, something deeper than that okay so let's let's do some more exercises here um, well no so, so point of that let me land the plane here uh, who are you and who are you and who are you collectively Christians the church. Christians the church what's that mean what's that mean to be a Christian what's that mean to be the church what's that mean to be a human right We know what we're made of we've got flesh and blood we got arteries we got chemical reactions going in our brain, generating some images in our head, you know, uh, we got blood pumping, but what, what are we beyond what we're made of, okay, so that's kind of where that's going, okay, let's, let's play a game now, um, who wants, oh, I need a volunteer to play a game with me, real quick, anybody, first person raise their hand, okay, Jacob, all right, you go first, <laughs> we're playing a game, you go first, Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's, what's missing? What, why, why don't you want to play a game right now? Uh, I wouldn't say I don't want to. I would say, well, I don't understand what's going on. You don't know what's going on. OK, OK. G- I'll give you some rules. Games have rules, OK? OK, OK. Um, you roll a dice. If you roll a two, you go forward five spaces. If you roll a six, you go backwards five spaces. And then if it's any other number you just move forward one space. So you go first. Okay. Um, I don't have a die in my pocket. So I'm uh, sure if you go find okay. One. We we could probably find one. So is that is that enough to play a game? Like what's missing? A board, a die. But a board, die, more stuff. Sure, sure, more stuff, but the goal, the goal, the goal. Yes, yeah. What what's the point of the game? Right, right. So this is what often happens to people when they watch sports they don't understand, right? They just see a bunch of stuff happening. You know, have anybody watched Australian football? It, it looks similar to football. They got goalposts, But then it looks similar to rugby. But then they're doing others. It just doesn't, you don't know what the goal is. Or cricket. Cricket's the biggest, I, I have no idea how to win in cricket. Okay? Um, don't, uh, I shouldn't visit India or any place in the British Commonwealth, uh, they they wouldn't like that answer. But you have to know the goal, right? Simply, simply even having some rules isn't enough if you don't know what they're for, right? Okay, some more illustrations. Monopoly tells us the goal in the nature of monopoly. Sure, but monopoly of what? You still gotta know what, right? Yeah, yeah. Properties, little uh um no, exactly. And and some games give you more clues than others, right? Some games are super dense. Uh, like uh, well, I won't tell you more illustrations. We got we got to keep moving here. So, okay. So, another example here. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to sing some notes for you and you and and I'm going to stop and then you tell me how you feel when I stop, okay? D Da 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 Cliff, oh, you said cliff. That's great. Cliff, why did you say cliffhanger? Why? I expect to see more than you left me hanging. I left you. How do you know I left you hanging? Well, I I stopped, but why did you anticipate something was supposed to happen after I stopped? felt that way. Okay. Anybody else care to comment? Dean, yeah. Well, the note that's missing is the same note you started on prior, right? which gives us resolve. It gives us resolve. Anybody? Yes. Amara. Up, didn't... I didn't finish it. Right. So, the note that I ended on, oh well, I, that you think I should have ended on, how dare you judge my singing? Like, <laughs> where, where, where you're getting these arbitrary standards of how I should end songs is beyond me. You know, uh, <laughs> But no, what you're all anticipating is is something that musicians call the tonic, right? A tonic is the tonal center of what we call a key. And a key is just a collection of notes that sound like they should go together. And the reason they sound like they should go together is because they're all proportionally oriented around this idea of the tonic. And so in a major scale that I was singing but left out the last note, I was trying to get back to the tonic, but I left it out, right? Does anybody know what atonal music is? Like, the definition of it is. Yes? Well, I, I think about Schoenberg, yeah. Yes, Arnold Schoenberg, yes. Eyes it. Right, and, and you have that feeling because the definition of atonal music, Arnold Schoenberg, he's this... Uh, German uh, musicologists in the early 20th century played around with this. And um, the, the definition is there's no tonal center. It, it, is, it is music without a tonic. And so it, it strikes you as, as harsh as, as there's no resolution. There's nothing to resolve around, right? But um, Jose, you, you said what I think we all intuited, that we, as humans, crave a tonal center. And music, like we 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 need that. There needs to be, if we're going to switch analogies back to the game, there needs to be a goal to the game. We need to be getting back home, right? Okay. Another. Uh, if I write on the board here, um, you know, two plus two. What, what what's being communicated? For the universe. The universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, two plus two. Someone said four, right. I mean, this, this, is math, this is the mathematical equation that is that incomplete scale. What, what you want to do is, well, I want to see what it equals. I left this out, but you all anticipated that, right? There's a goal, in other words. Okay. Uh, here, here's one that's less mathematical and um, musicologist. Okay, so a uh, guy uh, is married. It's Valentine's Day. He uh, he goes home, and his wife's expecting him to remember that it's Valentine's Day, and what he gives her is a handful of seeds. <laughs> and, and he's surprised, shocked that she's not that she doesn't have a smile on her face when she gets these seeds. Why do you think she's disappointed? She, she like, like... Well, but they're seeds, they're flower seeds. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Oh, for you, okay, Okay. so some people, so some people like that, right, yeah, yeah, well, uh, I, I think even if we like that sort of thing, there will be something you might describe as, at best, you know, delayed gratification, right? Because, um, you know, a smart aleck would say, well, all the DNA is in the seeds, and uh, all the... Technically, all the material is there, you know? It's, it's a flower, just in seed form. Why, why, isn't, why is, does that not cut it on Valentine's Day? Yeah, right, you're expecting, I mean, you're celebrating love. You're celebrating the, the you know, the, the best and the brightest and the, the, all the warm fuzzies of, of love. And, and the flower, in its full bloom, is, is a representation of that, right? And if you give someone just the seeds... Well, yeah, technically, the potential for beauty is there, but the the beauty's not there, bottom line. It's cheap. Well, yeah, that's cheap, too. Seeds are a lot cheaper than, <laughs> and, uh, than flowers. Um, and they're cheaper because it takes work to cultivate the flower, right? Someone's got to grow it. Someone's got to water it. Someone's got to put in effort. The beauty doesn't just happen. The beauty grows, right? In one sense, the seed is going somewhere, right? And... There's a difference between the start of something and its end, right? The, the beauty is what is the end that you want, and, and if you don't give it, you, it's not there. Okay. Last illustration. Uh, I tell you a story, uh, and I just give you, I don't know. Let's stop that one. You, this, this illustration will work when I do it in reverse. So let's do a little bit of what I do in reverse, okay? So we know there's, we need, our, our, our minds are made for, to anticipate a resolution. Our, our, we want goals. Uh, things don't make sense to us if we don't know where things are going. And uh, that's by God's design. He's made us with purpose in mind. Um, technical... Term philosophers like to use is telos. There's a telos to everything. Everything's uh, got a purpose. It has a goal. And you have a goal. You have a telos. You are made for something. And if you don't know what that thing is, uh, you're going to feel like you're listening to atonal music. You're going to feel like on Valentine's Day you're just getting seeds. You're going to feel like looking at a bunch of numbers and you don't know what they equal, right? We need to know the end. We need a telos. We need to understand that. Otherwise, when we get the pieces, we don't know what they mean. And then we come to a question of what's a star. We only talk about what it's made of. We don't talk about what its meaning is, what its goal is, what its purpose is beyond its raw materials. right? So that's, I say all that to say, in this class, we want to think goal. We, we want to see the pieces in light of the whole. Right? We don't just want to see ideas and thoughts. We, we want to put them together and see all the pieces coming together. Okay, so but let's do this in reverse, okay? I'm going to give you some goals. We're, we're going to talk about goal, but also goal itself isn't enough. Goal itself isn't enough. Um, and so let's, let's do these, these things in reverse, starting with music. Um, Many of you know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, right? Dun, 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 All right, who's listened to the first four movements of the Ninth Symphony? Some of you, yeah, some of you have. Right. Have you really listened to the Ninth Symphony if you only listen to the Ode to Joy theme? No. No, now the Ode to Joy theme is beautiful. Like, let's, I'm not taking anything away from it as a standalone melody. But boy, when you hit that theme for the first time after you've listened to about 40 minutes of buildup, boy, it hits you really hard. And, and if you're listening to the Ninth Symphony, uh, that theme, dun, 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 it's, it comes in really soft, and it comes in different parts, and it starts really low and then it builds and crescendos, right? My point is, you know where the song's headed, right? But there's an experience to be had in the buildup, right? So, another story. Everybody seen Return of the King? Most people, movie Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'll do a couple stories, um, just so I make sure I hit one that everyone's seen. So if you walked into a room where return of the kings being put on the big screen and you just see a bunch of crying hobbits I mean it's it's a beautiful scene. It's a it's it's a beautiful scene. But do you understand what's going on if you've not watched the first 3 movies all the way through? Like for those of you who don't know, uh, the, you know Frodo Baggins is following Gandalf and some other elves, and they're going to this harbor, and there's a ship waiting, and Gandalf gets on the ship, and Elrond gets on the ship, and all of a sudden, Frodo starts going on the ship, and all the other hobbits, they start crying, like, What's, why is this guy leaving? What's going on? Right? But you don't know what they're crying about unless you've watched the whole thing, right? So you know the end of the story. Frodo gets to go to... Beautiful place. He's in one sense his work is done. He's 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 conquered. He's accomplished great things, and you know he's going to a place uh, of rest. Uh, but but if you don't get the build-up, you don't you don't see the meaning of that. Um, anyone read? Uh, well, let's see another movie here. What's another good movie? Um, Beauty and the Beast. Everyone seen Beauty and the Beast? Most people. You know the story. Okay. Well you see a beautiful couple with a bunch of uh, happy servants in a big mansion all celebrating. What a great ending. It's great. Uh, Except if you just saw bride and groom celebrating with a bunch of servants around them in a big French chateau, uh, would you understand what Beauty and the Beast was all about? No. What's missing? Who was the groom like two days ago he was an ugly beast. Right? There's, there's a build up to this momentous occasion, right? Um, last. Anyone read Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis? Yes? I know. Donald's read all the books I'm, I'm citing. So uh, anyone else read this? Very good book. OK, well, Till We Have Faces. It's, the title of the book is the climax of the book. And the the climax of the book is this line, how can the gods meet us face to face until we have faces? Such a powerful line. I'm getting emotional just like saying those words because this buildup of this book is just incredible. It's it's a story about a girl who's got all sorts of insecurities, uh, feels like she's been cheated by God her entire life. And she gets to this point where she gets to confront the gods face-to-face, as it were. And, and she just is undone in a way that I won't spoil for you. And the whole point of the book is, it's like, you can't know truth because you have no idea who you are. I mean, there's many other meanings, but that's the one I can think of off the top of my head. It's just this incredible book, but if you just get to the end, you've, you've missed. you won't understand it. And so there's a drama that you have to experience to understand the conclusion, okay? And and this is how, in in the same way that God designed the human mind to know meaning through understanding its purpose and end, the end of something, uh, God also designed us uh, to think in, in a narrative form, right? When we tell each other about our day, it follows this a, a pretty standard pattern of of what we think of as a story, and all stories basically have a beginning, a uh, middle, and uh, and what's what's you anticipating an end, right? An end, right? A beginning, a middle, an end, and uh, there's a we could also say a you know status quo. Just. Here's how things happen. Then there's uh, there's some drama, and then there's uh, you know a new status quo. Uh, another way we can say it is um, there's just you know normal. There's a problem, and then there's a resolution. Tr- tr- try to tell someone about. Your life in any form, without this basic formula, and that's essentially the definition of a boring story. You, you want to know what boredom is, technically speaking? It's it's the absence of this this middle section. It's the absence of a clearly defined problem. The absence of a of a solution to that problem. It's just stuff, right? It's just. Uh, you know, some of these, uh, like a farmer's almanac, right? Um, maybe you like reading farmer's almanacs, maybe you don't, I don't know. But they're, they're just kind of just lists of stuff. I mean, it's interesting, it's kind of predictions, but it's like a mishmash of just facts, you know? Or you read an encyclopedia. You know, You're not made to read an encyclopedia cover to cover. An encyclopedia is not a story. The dictionary is not a story. It's just stuff, right? The story, there is a story, and you know it's a story. You know it's a story because... There's this drama. There's problem and resolution. Okay. I'm talking about faith and dominion and kingdom. You Kind of get where I'm going with all this, anybody? Like we want to understand what we're here for. We want to understand our purpose and where we're going. We need to know the story. We need to know how the pieces fit together. And that is fundamentally what the Bible is given to us to tell us about. The Bible tells us what the beginning was. It tells us what the problem is. And it describes everything in between leading up to a new status quo, the end. Right? So, when we uh, get to understanding dominion, faith, and kingdom, and Christ's rule and reign, and our purpose in this life, uh, we want to think story, not just facts. Okay? If, if we... We spend our time together and all you've learned is just ideas. Without putting them together, I will have failed. I, I think we will we'll probably wasted some time because we're talking about your soul and my soul. We're talking about the universe as it really is. We're talking about where all of us are going, what God's doing. These are things that we live. These are things that affect our eternal destiny. They affect the quality of our life right now. They affect what we're going to be doing 2 billion years from now. You ever thought what you're going to be doing in 2 billion years? You are going to be alive in 2 billion years. You're going to be alive in 2 trillion years. What will you be in 2 trillion years? What's that? Dead? No, you will not be dead. (laughs) You will be alive. Your body will be alive. You'll have a face. Good good connection. You'll be able to see God. And you'll either see him as your eternal judge or you'll see him as everlasting life in the face of Jesus Christ. So, all of this matters. Okay? And I, it's going to be so exciting to talk about it. So, to sum up this kind of introductory uh, discussion here, uh, God made us to understand the end and God also made us to understand the end in light of everything that it took to get there. In other words, God made us to understand truth through story, not just facts. Um, what, something that I'm kind of speaking towards without saying it just yet, and I'll say it now, is, is something we have to contend with as 21st century Christians is the fallout of the Enlightenment and modernism. And I don't want to focus too much on abstract uh, you know, philosophy and these concepts, but all that to say, something changed in the way Western people thought around uh, 1600s onward. And essentially what that, does, that, that was was to, was to separate matter from spirit, fundamentally. That was kind of the first step. And then, because when you separate matter from spirit, uh, matter itself starts to disintegrate. Uh, We just started separating everything from itself. So what do I mean by that? So if you guys want to experience uh, ancient Egypt, you want to experience ancient Egypt, uh, or you want to experience exotic animals, where do you go? Okay, that, that's a good answer. That's a better answer than I. Well, Madagascar, not so much for Egypt, but for animals. Yeah, Where Madagascar for exotic animals. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Okay, um, that's good. What I was. Anyone else want to answer? The zoo. Okay, there's there's another place. The zoo. What about Egypt? Yeah, a museum. A museum. You guys are you guys are falling right into my traps. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, the internet, internet. or oh, the internet. There you go. There you go, and. And Madagascar was like the closest thing to what I think we should all want to do if we really want to experience exotic animals. Um, And if we want to experience ancient Egypt, we should go to Egypt. Well, you can't go to ancient Egypt, right, because it's not ancient anymore. But uh, you'd be going in the present. Um, But you could see something from ancient Egypt if you saw the pyramids, right, yeah. right exactly you know, yeah you experience them right and it's not i mean the facts are, are part of it yeah. you know like it, it's not it's not less than the facts but it's more than just the facts right so museums museums are a product of the enlightenment they're a product of the enlightenment we can take objects out of their native surroundings stick them in a, a sterile environment behind glass and when people come visit them they think they've experienced them you go see a, uh, um, uh, you know, these old museums. I'm thinking in you know, the 1920s where all these stuffed animals and all these taxidermies and uh, these skeletons. And like, oh, I've experienced all these animals. And it, well, here's a good example. Uh, the field, I think it's the Field Museum in Chicago. You got those two lions. Anyone seen those? Um, I think it's in Chicago. Anyway, there's these two huge lions. I mean, they're huge and they don't have manes, um, and they're stuffed, and they're they're like maybe 10 feet tall. I mean, they're the actual lions. They, well, I mean, they're the lion's bodies, the real lion's bodies. They're not alive, um, thankfully. But does anyone know the story behind these these two lions? These, these were two man-eating lions that were very unusual. They worked together in Africa, and they killed so many people, and And eventually they caught them, and they, and they put them in the museum. And 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 you've experienced, I mean, that's that's better than a stuffed lion. That's a, you know, that is manufactured out of, you know, textiles and, and fabric. Um, you're, you're getting something, but but it's not very different from being the person to actually catch those lions, right? Who do you think experienced that lion more? the Me standing in the museum or the person who, like, wrestled it to the ground and, and, and you know, brought it in for the kill? You get what I'm driving at here. And... Um, how, you mean, you think about what we do in, in school today. We, we learn science through textbooks and facts, and um, we, we, uh, the way we study for exams is often, you know, rote memory and recitation of, of concepts. Um, we take uh, classes through different subjects. You know, there's history class, then there's sociology class, then there's math class, then there's English class and there's PE. Everything's separate, right? And if you go into higher education, uh, the goal is often hyper-specialization, right? How many, how many have been to... I had a friend who went to the emergency room recently, and uh, they couldn't give many answers for about 12 hours because the specialist had to talk to that specialist. They had to talk to the radiologist. And the radiologist had to talk to the hospitalist, and the hospitalist had to talk to the cardiologist. The cardiologist, to to the, cardiologist the cardiologist had to talk to the neurologist, and It's like, where's the one person who can unify all the knowledge? Right? This is, this is, um, there's, now, I say all that to say, hyper-specialization and technical expertise is very valuable. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the advances of of science in in any respect, but I do want to highlight that you lose something when you get so focused on just discrete facts and you can't connect them to the big picture, Right? Now, we can go to the zoo and see all sorts of animals. What a blessing. We can go to the the Museum of Science and Industry and all these great museums and we can experience all these wonderful things. That's great. It's it's got its place. But we have to also know that we are missing something when we don't see these things in the environments in which they came from. Um, And so, in the back of much we're going to talk about, kind of, that's just a preview of how I'm going to, I think, categorize some of our discussion here, is kind of in, in how do we deal with the fact that we're moderns, that we're, we're children of the Enlightenment, who, who think in terms of, what are things made of, instead of, what are they for? Yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So what you're describing. So so uh, Doug Charbonneau mentioned Oscar Wilde and Rousseau and and this kind of I mean, Rousseau and Oscar Wilde are in one sense reactions to hyper rationalism that comes from modernism. You know, not everyone enjoys museums. Uh, we have romantics. You know. Um, but, but but that's a reaction to a problem that creates its own problems that's still not getting us where we need to go. And Again, this is a footnote to our, our class today, but I think it's an important footnote that if we just respond to this uh, encyclopedic way of thinking, for lack of a better term, this just looking at discrete facts instead of the whole, we know that we're missing something and so one response to that is this Oscar Wilde response of romanticism or emotionalism, and that, that craves just authentic human experience. Right. The problem with that, and what we'll talk about this more, is, is it makes my personal experience uh, really the touchstone of all reality. If I don't personally experience it, it's not real. And what we've missed is you know we're we're realizing this encyclopedic knowledge is flawed, it's incomplete, but if we just draw into well I have to have an authentic experience and get these things in our native context, we're still missing something, and because what we're missing is you can't experience everything, you can't, and even if you experience things, you're flawed you're not going to catch it all right so so Again, the more problem, but that's at least one problem, is you're not big enough to experience all that there is to experience. So encyclopedic knowledge isn't enough. Uh, your own personal experience is not enough. And so this is probably a good segue to one of the key themes of this class. And, and by the way, just, today's just like an introduction day, okay? <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, we're setting the stage for, uh, for what we're going to talk about. So that's why we're going in so much detail here. But, but this sets the stage for a big theme, which is the end of creation, or rather the end of redemption. God's plan for the world is summed up in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Right? There is someone. That unifies all things in heaven and on earth. That's spiritual and material. Right? That's, that's, that's not just contingent upon my personal experience. And also, we're not missing out on any of the facts either. All things are united in Christ. What's that? Now, now what's that mean? I mean, that's, that's a huge statement. I think many of us, I read that most of my life. I don't know what this means. It's, Paul's really excited about something here. Um, this sounds much bigger. I don't quite understand it. Uh, but that's something we're going to explore together. What's this mean, that all things are united in Christ? So, all right, let's take a breather. So, uh, Telos, we need an end, we need a drama. Christ is the union of all things. Why are these things the case? So, as we think about these kind of introductory concepts, you know, let's, let's take a step back and kind of focus more on practically what's this mean for you and me, um, and kind of back to the original question, you know, who are you? What are you for? You know, and what is this church? What is our church? What are we for? Um, what are we for as a community that lives in Indianapolis? What's Indianapolis for? What's this earth for? Right? And then what's what drama are you living in right now? Okay, what's your story? And where at what chapter in your story are you living? When you woke up this morning, what was the problem that hit you first? You know, what 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 was when you walked into the church building, what what thoughts Worries, concerns, joys, expectations filled your mind, right? Think of your life as a story. Where are you in it? And do you understand where you're in it, where you are at in it, rather? Do you understand who the other people in your life are, not just in your story, but in the story of this church? And where where is this church in the story of, of Christendom? Of what God's doing in the world since Christ ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Right? We can know lots of things about the Bible. We can know lots of facts about who we are. We can know lots of lots of things, but but do we are we putting the pieces together in the right way? So think about that as we turn to in the last 15 minutes. I'm gonna lay a kind of the groundwork conceptually. Uh, for more the subject matter of, of dominion and, uh, and kingdom. Any questions so far? Any comments? Too many. Too many questions. Great. All right. We'll keep thinking about them. Okay, so if we want to know the drama, we want to know where it's going, we've got to start at the beginning. So and that's where the Bible starts, in the beginning, right? In the beginning. So in the beginning, God made the world, the earth was formless and void, and he ordered it. There was, uh, there was raw material in the beginning. God shaped it. And you read the first chapters of Genesis, and you see this play out literally with uh, separating light from darkness, okay? Order. They used to be meshed together. Now they're separated. And then he separated land from water. More order, right? And then he populated these spaces. Yes. I'm just curious. just so we clear. Yeah. Is it uh one of the big sh show that you there was not a pre existing material except for God Himself, and that the creation was explained. That yes. Was that's a very good point. And and uh thanks for bringing that up. Because that's something that is a concept we are going to really hammer home, and that's very that is essential for understanding um Our relationship to God. You are not God. (laughs) You are not of the same substance as God. God is separate from you, and that's that's I mean that is a revolutionary concept uh, that we take for granted. Is that the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview? uh, God made the world, and yet it is separate from Him. And that's that's why we're not pantheists, right? We're not all just one bundle of divine and material all swirling together, right? so, excellent. Um, God made the world separate. It's not, it, material reality uh, came out of nothing, and it is distinct from God's eternal substance. God is spirit, right? He does not have a body like men. He is not material. He made material, right? There's so, so, yes. And then, so the creation story that I was um, narrating is how did god order this material what's he doing with it what's the point of it and he's bringing order to it he's populating it and then we get to genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and we get the the pinnacle of creation which is humans adam and eve Uh, and what makes them unique classic bible school answer what is unique about humans yes Made in God's image, yes. They're made in God's image. Okay, now this is where uh, we know what that... We're going to try to figure out what that means uh, in this class. And that's a very foundational... The image of God. What is the image of God? Well, the point I want to emphasize today is that unlike any other object in the universe, material universe, humans have the capacity to commune with God, and to, to engage spiritually with him. Animals have some kind of spark, right? There's a difference between a, a dead animal and an animal. Like, you know when an animal is alive and when it's not alive. Okay? They, they, they're living. They have life. right? Animals, animals are wonderful things because you can't control them mechanically. Like they, they, have a, they have a spirit of sorts. But that is not... The spirit that is part of what it means to be in the image of God. It's on a whole nother level. So much so, and that's why um, one of the touchstones of what makes humans human is that we have a higher spirit than any other object or animal in the universe. And by virtue of that spirit, we are the kings of the world. Maybe you haven't heard it categorized, like, or phrased in that, in that way, but that's, that's essentially dominion. Is Humans are made in God's image. Humans have something of the divine character. The very essence of God is somehow worked into the very being of us so that we can fellowship with him. We can experience him in a way that no other object in the universe can experience him. And because we are special in that way, we're the crown of creation that way. We are made to govern the whole world out of and through being God's image. God, um, so uh, when, I, when we think about this, one of the concepts that we want to talk about in this class is, is spirit rules matter. Matter doesn't rule itself. That's not how God made the world. Um, maybe a way we, we think about this that we understand more intuitively is, you know the verse, in him we live and move and have our being. right we, God sustains the whole world. That's a, he's, it's an active thing God is doing. God is actively sustaining the world. God didn't just make the world, wind it up like a clock, and then it just goes by itself. No, the whole universe maintains its order because God, as God is a spirit, because of who he is and how he constructed it, at some point we'll lose the vocabulary for all this, but God is upholding the world. And the question is how? How is God doing that? Now, there's lots of ways we don't know. (laughs) I'm not going to try to, uh, you know, uh, Mike Bell's like maybe... How do atoms stick together? You get physics, the strong force that keeps nucleus from just imploding. Why do they stick together? Nobody knows. They really don't know. I mean, we got terms to describe it, we got concepts, but nobody knows how or why we observe how the world holds together and we describe it. But nobody really knows how. What? God is how. That's how. God's holding the whole thing together. Okay. So. There's also a sense in which how the world's governed, just just how things are ordered um, uh, in a different sense. And God intended the world to be ordered through humans. That's why he made us. That's why he made us in his image, and that's why he gave us dominion over the world. God made humans to rule the world and to be, as his image bearers, acting out in the created material world what God does with everything which is to uphold it and to order it and to govern it. Okay? God made us and he made the world so that we would subdue it and bring order to it. And um, we're going to find out later in this class that this is, a, this is a progressive ordering. It didn't happen all at once, did it? God just made two people. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There was a, this was this ordering of all creation through humans as his image bearers over the world was to happen over the course of all of history. They had to multiply. They had to make more image bearers. God's image had to spread over the whole world. Right? This wasn't something that was going to happen in one day. There was a progressive nature to it. But the goal was humans ruling the world bringing order to the world, subduing the world in a way that God had done with all the material reality and bringing it all together and forming the planets and forming the oceans and making the animals. We were to model that and imitate that and continue that work over all of creation, uh, and that that was our job. We were to be kings of the world in this way, uh, ruling the earth as God's image bears for his glory. So, that was the plan, and a critical, critical piece of this plan. We were always supposed to do that with God, in his presence. We, we weren't made to be, image, again, wind-up dolls that God zapped his image into, turned us loose, and we just go by ourselves. And No, the whole project was us with God. And that this is the priesthood of man. Right? We described his kingship, but the priesthood of man, we were made to be his priests. And that doesn't mean we're, you know, before, before the fall, we weren't making sacrifices, uh, blood sacrifices, because there was no sin. So the priestly function was this, this fellowship, this communion, this being in God's presence, this giving and receiving, this union and communion. It's, it's what Jesus describes in John chapter 17 of, of what he's trying to restore. And so it was out of this fellowship with God... And out of the nature by which he made us as image bearers, that we were to then populate the whole world, bring everything under Christ's rule and reign. And the vision for this, the vision for this is um, Isaiah 10, 9. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk also quote says a very similar phrase. Um, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That was the vision. It was, it was, and that's not just glory like, uh, you know, pixie dust will fill the entire globe, or bright lights will fill the whole world, like, you know, this, this, these, we're just going to install street lights on every corner, and it's, the glory is man. Irenaeus, I, um church father, he has this quote, um, it's often been translated, uh, the glory of God is a man fully alive, uh, which is not, a better, better translation is the glory of God is a living man. What's that mean? What's, what's he trying to say with that? Well, it's, the glory of God is not something that we're to understand as a concept. God has revealed his glory to us As material flesh and blood people, he's revealed that to us by telling us what humans were supposed to be and filling them with his image. In other words, glorified man uh, at the end of time and created man at the beginning of time uh, were to be God's declaration of his glory in the material universe probably went over over your heads. I know I'm I'm throwing a lot at you. But um, this gets the concept of, do you you understand something uh, if you just know facts? God didn't just tell us facts about his glory. He did something. He made us. That's why people are so valuable. That's why people can hurt you. That's why people can give you joy. That's why when you live, It means something to you because it was made to declare God's glory. Not as an idea, but in reality. And so you you say, I want to see God's glory. I want to know him. Roy Blackwood, look at the stars. Like, real, actual objects tell you about God's glory. It's not just a concept. It's real. You want to experience God's glory? Talk to people listen to them, experience them. You're seeing God's glory poured into physical reality. You weren't made to experience God abstractly. You're made to experience him with a body, in your body, seeing real bodies, seeing this created order. That's the glory of God. Yes. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, we're finite. We'll always stay finite. And even two trillion years from now, when we've become who knows what, uh, we'll still be finite, and there'll be still more to discover. And so this isn't correct. This is not an exhaustive understanding of God's glory that we're experiencing in the created order. But it's a lot of glory. (laughs) It's a whole lot of glory. And, And the tragedy of life, to wrap up in the next two minutes, is that we threw it away. Adam threw it away. He said, I don't need God to live as king of the world. I can do it myself. That's the essence of the fall. Satan tempted him and said, did God really say, you're actually incomplete the way you are? You just don't trust him. Don't operate out of union and communion with him. Do it yourself. You know best. We threw it away. And everything got messed up. Right, Everything got messed up. We kept the categories of creation. God's created order didn't disintegrate because of common grace. We'll talk about common grace. Right, The categories he made, the structure of it, the, way, the reproduction, filling the earth, subduing things, having dominion, that's all the categories, the structure stays the same. But instead of producing life, instead of growing and spreading God's glory, it just spreads death. Right When people have kids, their kids are born as sinners. And when their kids have kids, they're born as sinners. And you can do all the parenting in the world, and you can do a lot of good parenting. Don't get me wrong. Like Again, common grace is real. The categories of creation are real in God's wisdom, and there's, there's a preservation to this reality that God allows us to continue in so that we don't just disintegrate completely. And praise God for that. But, It's not the same. It's not the same. And so the Bible, so what's the solution? So the end, what's the end? The end is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man who came to do what Adam failed to do, and he restarted the Dominion Project in himself. That's, that's, we'll end with this. Psalm 1, the gospel at the beginning of the Psalms, Adam was kicked out of the garden, separated from the symbol of God's life and presence in him, which is this tree of life, separated from that, cut off from it. But what do we read about in Psalm 1? In Psalm 1, we read, blessed, God's blessing was on creation. It was withdrawn in the curse, but now blessing returns. Where does it return? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in wickedness, but is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, his leaf never withers, and all that he does, he prospers. But the world is cursed, we're separated from God, and now God's telling us there's this man that prospers, bears fruit all the time, and he's like a tree planted by streams of water, echoing this imagery in the Garden of Eden. And what's being communicated is Tree of life people still exist. It's not a place. Being Life is still available to us, not as we continue in this death spiral, but as we experience God himself. And the experience of that is by faith. The experience of that is in Christ. And Christ was ultimately that that tree of life that came to the world that spread life and gave life to everyone. And our connection to him brings us back to be able to fill the earth with his glory through him. So that was a lot. I gave you just a taste of of where we're going. Um, There's a whole lot more to discuss. Hopefully today didn't necessarily answer any questions, but just gave you more questions that we can unpack in the weeks to come. Um, And with that, we are out of time, and I'll close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is... Uh, the new Adam, who is king of the world, who has conquered all evil and is the source of all life. I pray that we would understand what it means to be in him, that we'd understand what it means to uh, experience uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and that we as his children would also be lights in this world. Uh, Please uh, prepare us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. As we go into the sanctuary, I pray that we would be a people gathered out of the world uh, as tree of life people, who even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation are experiencing life in you uh, through your presence with us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.